Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. Morning, Living Word. Good to see you here today. And good morning to those of you still watching from home. Hope to see you here in person soon. Got a couple of announcements before we get into the Word. Uh, Tomorrow is the first Monday of the month, and as usual, we will have Monday night prayer. Hope you can join us, even if you haven't been in the habit of coming. uh, Come, come spend a Monday with us. uh, I think uh, many of you who haven't been will will discover that it's something you want to do time and time again, but coming and joining us on a Monday night prayer does not mean you're signing up to a, a year of Mondays, but since tomorrow is the first Monday of the month, I want to remind you, I haven't done a very good job of reminding you of this, but years ago we declared that the first Monday of the month would be a day of prayer and fasting, and we encourage as many of you uh, as possible to join us in that. Some people do a, a no-media Monday, sometimes do that on the first day of the week, but maybe we can do this on the first Monday of the month as well. Uh, or some, you can choose to skip a meal or not eat at all until after prayer. But it's just an opportunity to center ourselves and remind ourselves of the necessity of prayer and the power of prayer. Um, today would ord- ordinarily be Mission Sunday, and we would take up an extra offering that would go to our mission fund. But since Neil and Danette Childs will be here in two weeks, woohoo! our mission offering will go to them. So if you brought it, set it aside, and bring that... Uh, in two weeks to bless Neil and Danette. And um, the other thing I want to talk about before we get into the Word is that the small group signups are still out there, and I want to see as many of you as possible involved in these. We had a first go-round that was really good, a lot of participation. Hasn't been 100%, so if you haven't joined a small group, uh, really strongly encourage you to. I know we have encouraged you in the past, uh, I have any way to switch groups when we, when we do this rotation, when we start the next uh, round of these in July, uh, but I don't want you to feel bad if you don't. I understand some of you have to go to a particular one because of the time, you know, the schedule, whether it's the day or the time of day, that's fine. Uh, do, you know, join the ones that, that, that you can. If you can switch, switch, kind of maybe get to know a different group of people. Uh, married couples, we do want you to attend the same group. Uh, maybe if you have to flip a coin over which group that is, that's fine, but uh, we do want married couples in the same small group. When you sign up, sign up one name per line. All right, so yes, we want couples in the same group, but each member, uh, each uh, person in that couple needs to sign on a separate line, and then when the group is full, the group is full. Seniors who have graduated this year, Uh, You are done with youth group when school starts, and that next round of small groups will still be going on. I strongly urge you to join a small group and become a part of it. And if you you join one now, you can sign up to reserve your spot for when youth group, when you're done with youth group. But uh, meanwhile, if you sign up for one that is not meeting during youth group, you can do both of those things until until school starts. And uh, even though the Chambers group has been the, the family group, if you, are, if you have children, uh, you, are not, you don't have to go to uh, Will's stinking group. It's, uh, no, it's a, I know it's a great group. Uh, we, I, I put that specifically on ours. Uh, children are welcome uh, at our house, the one we're hosting 
in, in our home. However, we, we aren't providing official child care. They're still yours to look after, but we, we certainly don't mind the company, the noise, and everything that uh, comes with that. All right, I think that's everything I had about small groups. Um, thank you for those of you who were able to be here last night for the impromptu prayer service. I understand it was very well attended and a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of prayers went up. I think I mentioned this in the email, but I really was blessed by how many texts and messages I got. I can't be there, but that's not going to stop me from praying. I couldn't be here, and uh, it didn't stop me from praying. But uh, that, was, uh, that was a, it turned out to be a great prayer meeting. Thank you for praying, and thank those of you who, who came for coming. We are still believing for the best. We are still speaking life and health over Gary, over Diana Armstrong, and uh, over all those who are continuing to battle and to recover from COVID and everything else, right? I mean, God doesn't, is not just a healer of COVID. He heals all of our diseases, and we continue to speak that over ourselves, over our families, over our church family. Amen? Amen. I am starting today to speak about the armor of God. I don't think this is going to be a full-on series, but I don't think I'll finish up today either. Uh, I really don't know how far we'll get, but before, we, uh, before I say anything about it, let's actually read the pertinent passage of Scripture. You can open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. And in verse 10 we read, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, at the end of 17 there, we're actually still in the middle of a sentence, and where Paul goes on after this is to write about praying uh, in the Spirit at all times. And it's relevant, of course, but I want to concentrate on these specific components of the Christian's armor, what they are, and how to put them on. And the first thing we see is this command to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And like any good, mature believer, when I think about armor, I think about Iron Man. You do too, right? Superhero Iron Man. And I got to say, I was into Iron Man before Iron Man was cool. I read the comic books long before the MCU uh, took off and uh, took, took over Hollywood, but long before Tony Stark was Robert Downey Jr. And I remember all these comic books. Iron Man was actually one of my favorites. And, uh, but here's the thing. He was only Iron Man. Iron Man was, I didn't realize this until, I, I, I was a latecomer to the game. I, was a, I had to do a lot of catching up to realize what Iron Man could do. I knew he could fly. I knew he could shoot blasts out of his hands. I didn't realize how strong he was when he had that armor. He could knock out the Hulk if he, if he could power up his armor. Uh, so he's one of the strongest superheroes there is. But Tony Stark wasn't. This wasn't an inherent superpower. He was only strong in the power of his armor. When he was armored, he was strong. When he didn't have the armor on, he wasn't. He had no superpowers at all. So, 
Uh, praise and worship team, come on up. <laughs> we are to be strong. This is really good news because the strength we're depending on, the strength that we are commanded to operate in, on, in is not our strength at all. The command is actually an encouragement. Be strong. How can I be strong? I'm weak. You be strong in his power. Be strong in the power of his might. Be strong in the Lord. It is God's strength that's going to bring victory in the day of battle, not our strength. Also, it says, put on the whole armor of God. One more Iron Man reference, and I'll dispense with that borderline silliness. In the comic books, anyway, and I think they retconned this, changed it for the movies, the armor only worked when the whole suit was on. He couldn't put on a glove and shoot a repulsor ray. He couldn't put on the boots and fly. Everything had to be connected. He couldn't operate his armor. He couldn't lift anything heavy. He couldn't fly. He couldn't shoot. Couldn't fight until the last piece was on, the helmet, because that's what completed the electrical circuit and allowed the power to flow through the armor. Put on the whole armor of God. And I think you'll see why this is as we work through these, which we will after we see this. That you may be, why are we putting on this armor? So that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now say this about the devil before we get to the armor. I'm not going to go very far with this today because this is a sermon on the armor of God, not on demonology. But just in case there's anybody in here who has wondered or who has doubted, the Bible is very, very clear in affirming the existence of Satan as a real, actual being and of demons. This is not some literary device to anthropomorphize. Did I say that right? Anthropomorphize. Did I leave a syllable out? Uh, anthropomorphize evil. Well, it's really just evil. It's a force. It's a sense. But we're going to call it the devil. We're going to personify it so that we can picture it and fight against it a little more personally, vigorously. But no, it's, uh, the devil is a real being a personality, and he is the enemy of our souls. Demons are also real. And his mission, his whole purpose in life, what does he come for? You can quote it as well as I can. To steal, to kill, and to destroy. He comes to devour. He, he, what he wants is to keep you out of the kingdom of God. But if he loses that battle, if you get saved, if you become a believer and the kingdom of God is part of your life, part of your future, what he, he doesn't just leave you alone. He doesn't just shrug his shoulders and say, well, on to the next one. Hope I can keep that next one from being saved. No, he attacks you. He works on you. He continues to try to steal from you, to kill you, to destroy you. Why? So that you can't influence anybody else and bring them into the kingdom of God. If he can't kill and stop you, he will try to stop you from protecting and saving anybody else. And it talks about the wiles of the devil. He is clever. He is wily. But, <laughs> I say wily, I always think about how Rainy used to talk to her brother when she was little. Wily. She would actually say Wally, not wily. But anyway, he is, he is wily, but he is not omnipotent. Please understand that. And I know most of you have a handle on this, but it's good to be reminded God has no opposite number. It's not like the force. You've got a, a light side and a dark side, a good side and an evil side. God is God alone. 
If the devil has an opposite number, it would be an archangel like Michael or somebody like that. It's not God. He does not share the same powers and abilities. He is not omnipotent. He's not omniscient. He's not omnipresent. The devil has limited resources, and God has unlimited. God is unlimited resources, and he's made those resources available to us for the day of battle. Okay? Uh, God alone is God, and please remember that God is always good. Now, the devil is always bad, but he's not as big as God. His badness, even though he is ultimately bad, his badness does not match God's goodness. This is, this is important. We're going to be strong in the power of his might. We need to understand from the get-go that goodness and evil are not two equal and opposite forces because God is on. God is good, and only the devil is bad. Now, sin was introduced into the world and to mankind specifically when Adam and Eve succumbed to the devil's temptation. We talked about this years ago when we were still going through the book of Revelation. Genesis. Paying attention? We didn't do Revelation yet, did we? When, uh, when Adam and Eve succumbed to the devil's temptation in the garden, and by the way, the devil, Satan, uh, what made his original sin so original and so egregious is he wasn't tempted. You understand this? Sin uh, was found in him. When Adam and Eve sinned, the first man and the first woman sinned, they were tempted by the devil. And this is when sin was introduced into the world into the human race, and as we talked about back in Genesis, sin propagated at such a rapid rate uh, that by the time of Noah, still in the early chapters of Genesis, God had to destroy mankind. But we still see that sin continued to grow, to multiply, and as a result, humanity, the human race, our morality, everything about us deteriorated over the years. And the world itself has deteriorated over the years, all as a result of sin and its cumulative effect on mankind and our environment, uh, the whole world. And because of that, we now have things that are, it's just the daily reality we live with, poverty, disease, pestilence, famine, wars, all of these things ultimately result from sin. But I say all that to say that I don't believe that every difficult thing you encounter is a specific demonic attack. Not every cold or cancer or flat tire or debt, you name it, has an individual demon behind it. But all these things are ultimately the result of sin being in this world, which was introduced by the devil all those years ago and certainly used by the devil in the broad scheme of things. I believe a lot of sin is self-perpetuating. I believe our flesh is to blame for as many of our bad decisions as the devil is. I simply don't believe the devil has enough resources to assign significant, specific uh, demons to cause us to sin every time we sin. We'd love to blame the devil. The devil made me do it, but he can't make you do anything, right? Especially believers. Now, again, demons are active and demons are real. But sin has such a foothold in the world that a lot of this, again, is simply self-perpetuating. And this is the crazy world we live in. So when Paul writes about principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this age, he's talking about a world that has been saturated 
over the centuries with demonic ideas. And he's reinforcing the truth that actual demons still attempt to superintend the affairs of men. But all of their power is based on a lie. Satan, according to Jesus, is a liar from the beginning and the father of lies. And you don't counter a lie. You don't battle a lie by shouting, Liar! You don't counter a lie by saying, That's a lie and I rebuke that lie in Jesus' name. What do you counter a lie with? The truth! And the very first piece of armor that Paul mentions here is what? Truth. Gird your waist. We are talking here about a belt. And most of you know this, I think. The belt, at least in the case of the Roman soldier, served a couple of purposes. For one, it gathered his tunic around him and kept it close to his body so that he wouldn't get tangled and twisted up in it uh, when, they were, when they were fighting. It also held his weapons. In the, uh, in the modern army has different things now. It's more like a vest uh, kit that's actually worn over, over most of their torso. But uh, back in my day, we had... Uh, what was called load-carrying equipment or load-bearing equipment, or we often simply referred to it as the web belt or web gear, and it was. It was a belt uh, with a suspenders harness, and from this web belt, that's where your, you carried your grenades, your first aid kit, your ammunition, your flashlight, your bayonet, pistol if you're authorized to carry one, any number of things you might need in the field in general, and specifically on the field of battle. And so when I think about the belt of truth, I like to think of it this way. Every other weapon hangs on the belt of truth. If we are not bound, girded about with truth, we are doomed to failure and defeat. Jesus himself said in John 8, 31, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And we may get no further than the, the belt of truth today, because uh, this is so fundamental. And this truth more, than any, truth, more than anything else, I believe, is under attack in our world today. The very concept of truth is under attack and has been for a long time. There is a, the people believe this. They embrace this statement. There is really no such thing as truth. You've heard this, right? It's a silly thing to say. And I encourage you, when somebody says there's no such thing as truth, ask them, is that statement true? Because if it is, then there's such a thing as truth, right? Now, The problem, the real issue, when we as believers are looking at this, this issue of truth, is if there is no such thing as truth, then there is automatically no such thing as good and evil. If nothing is essentially true, objectively true, then nothing is objectively evil or objectively good. We hear people talking today about what they say, speak your truth. Share your truth. Embrace your truth, not the truth. And you know what? It, it, it's one thing. Tolerance in and of itself 
properly defined is not a bad thing. I believe it's, it's proper to say that Christians and Jews and Buddhists and Hindus and Muslims have the right to worship as they believe they should. But can you see that that is entirely different from saying all religions are equally true? Francis Schaeffer did a superb job of spelling this issue out in his book, The God Who Is There. One of his central points was this very philosophically sophisticated idea. Here it is. If something is true, then the opposite is not true. Here's the mathematical formula. If A is A, then A is not non-A. That's, that's what we call the dialectic. We have two issue, two sides of an issue, and we need to be able to arrive at the conclusion that if one side is demonstrably true, the other side is false. Now some truths, you can have two different truths that are non-competing. I can say, I believe it's true that the sun is 93 million miles away. And you can come to me and say, oh, really? Well, I believe grass is green. Two different truths, but they are not competing truths, are they? But if I say, I believe uh, the earth is uh, globe-shaped and travels around the sun, and you say, I believe the earth is flat and that the sun moves in an arc above it, one of us is right and one of us is wrong. In fact, I'm right, and you're wrong. And I guess it's just possible there are flat earthers in here that I just offended, and I'd love to talk to you, because even though you're wrong, I love you. And this is the thing. When Jesus made the claims he made, he makes it impossible, impossible for us to logically say Jesus is one of many teachers of truth. I have shared this story before, but I love this story, so I'm going to share it again because if there are two people in this room who haven't heard it, it's worth telling again. I, I worked at a restaurant called the Snow Lion, uh, first in Columbus, Indiana, and then in Bloomington, Indiana, and the owner of this restaurant, a guy named Jigme, was the nephew of the Dalai Lama, the head of Tibetan Buddhism, one of the most famous religious figures in the world. And uh, Dalai Lama's brother actually taught uh, Eastern studies there at Indiana University. He was a well-known figure in the uh, movement for free Tibet, Tibetan rights. And uh, because uh, of the particular atmosphere and in that moment, uh, a lot of uh, Buddhist celebrities would find their way into the into the snow line at one time or another. And I remember once there were a group of Buddhist monks sitting at a table, and Jigme, my boss's mom, who would have been the Dalai Lama's sister-in-law, came out to visit. And they're all like, they wanted to kiss her hand and bow before her. And I'm like, man, I didn't even think this is the way Buddhism worked. But they're all just saying all these things and honoring her. And she's, being, and she's playing the queen, you know, bless you, bless you, it's good to have you here. And and then she goes back into the back room, lights up a cigarette, and says, you see the way they're all acting, acting like I'm all something holy? It's crazy, it's crazy. And starts making fun of them. I thought, this, this is wild. So we start talking. I always got a kick out of her. And uh, 
One day Jigme said, Jigme and I, I were always talking about the differences between Buddhism and Christianity. He was always trying to convince me that we really believed the same thing. You believe in resurrection, we believe in reincarnation. They're the same thing. No, they're not the same thing. And we'd talk about this. And uh, we were talking about when his mom walked in once, and she started saying, oh, I read the Bible, I've read the whole Bible, met it many times, Jesus is good, Jesus is good, Jesus is right, he's true, yes. I said, you believe the Bible is true? Oh, yes. Okay, so you believe Jesus, yes. I said, all right. What do you think about this statement? Jesus said this, and this is the statement I always hang my hat on when it comes to absolute truth, when it comes to objective truth. Jesus said, I am the way the truth, and the life. And followed it up with this. No man comes to the Father but by me. So I said, what, do you, what about this statement? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. What do you think of that statement? She says, no, many ways to God. So okay, so Jesus was wrong. No. Jesus was right. Jesus is true. I said, okay. Christian, one of the central claims of Christianity. I said, is Christianity a true religion? Yes, it is, but so is Buddhism. I said, okay, but Christianity says that Jesus Christ is the only way to God. That's not true. There are many ways to God. I said, so Christianity is false then. No, Christianity is true. So Jesus was wrong when he said he was the only way to God. No, Jesus never wrong. And I said, ma'am, as kindly as I can say it, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills! No, I didn't say that. But that's what I felt like. I, 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 every time I tell that story, I think, surely a five-year-old could see what's wrong with this conversation we're having. Tolerance and acceptance and the, the refusal to embrace the idea of absolute truth forces them to say that every religion is true. But when you find two statements, two competing truths from different worldviews, something they, they vapor lock. They can't acknowledge that. Oh, no, they're both right. But they are not just saying different, th different things. They're not just talking about the distance of the sun versus the, the color of the grass. They're talking about the shape of the world. They're talking about who is God. What is sin? Heaven, hell, life, death. Truth claims that matter. And if they are making different claims, not just different claims, but competing claims, guess what? Somebody's wrong, and maybe somebody's right. That's the thing I want to remind you of. Mathematically, it is possible for all religions to be wrong, but it is utter rubbish to think they can all be right. Now, we need to be convinced that what we believe is true. Had a great conversation. I don't even know if you remember this, Sean. Years ago, uh, Sean called me up, wanted to talk. He had been, uh, hope you don't mind me saying this in front of everybody, he had drifted for a period in his life and had come back, met, recommitted his life to Christ. And, and we went, to, he just wanted to tell me his story. And we went out to lunch as he shared with me what brought him back. And it got me thinking. That one conversation got me thinking and thinking about why people come to Christ, why people come back to Christ, etc. And uh, many things can bring somebody to that moment. I can think of kids back in the youth group who were invited and loved youth group because they were outcasts, they were lonely, they were friendless, and they found an environment 
in solid rock where they had friends, where they had support, where they had uh, love. Some people come to him because they have failed at too many things they have tried. Some people come out of just desperation. Some people obviously make a confession of Christ because they were raised in it and brought to that conclusion uh, in, a, in a safe and loving family environment. And God will use any number of situations and circumstances to bring someone to himself. But sooner or later, what will keep us there has to be the fact that we know it is true. When I think about a couple of these kids, not just a couple, unfortunately, over the years, they came for the love and the acceptance. But once they began to find love and acceptance somewhere else, they didn't need the crutch of the church anymore. And that's unfortunately not limited to teenagers or young people. I've seen it happen in the general population, as it were. If failure, if you feel like a failure because everything you've tried hasn't worked and you come to church and then suddenly you succeed at something else, do you stick around? Do you still need the church? If you're raised in it and then suddenly you're independent, you're out on your own, away from the family influence, do you still stick with it just because you're raised with it? Where does the concept of truth enter in? Because if we're not convinced it's true, then we, we will, sooner or later, abandon it because it's going to get hard. I don't know how many times I've shared this quote, but I'm going to share it again. This was uh, G.K. Chesterton who said, uh, I... Uh, people leave Christianity, not because uh, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. And this is where I run into people. I've had these conversations. I've seen it. I've read about it where people, they come up against a moment, not, not necessarily where Christianity is hard, but hard only in the sense that there's something they want to do, some way they want to live, and they know that Christianity will not allow them to live like that. I call it the Hollywood syndrome, but it's not limited to Hollywood at all. I'll tell you a story. I have referred to this guy before, and I'm still not going to name his name, even though many of you will, might be able to figure it out. It's just not, it doesn't matter if you can or can't. Uh, but this was a, a well-known singer in this case who was heavily involved in drugs and uh, to the point where it became a disability it became a life-threatening situation and after he got out of rehab uh, his wife told him that she had had an encounter with Jesus Christ invited him to uh, to pray the same prayer invited the pastor over had a talk and this guy according to his own autobiography prayed for like 20 minutes, and it was just this liberating, freeing experience. Jesus came into his heart, changed him. His marriage lasted his whole life. He never touched another drug, and never, never touched another drop of alcohol. Jesus changed his life, and he wrote about this very extensively in his book, and then began to record Christian music. Uh, and there was an issue the story I shared many times over the years was a, was a very simple slice of this. I went to a concert that included him and several other acts. All, it was a Christian, it was a, it was a festival, a Christian music festival. And uh, when he came out to sing, he began to sing his secular songs. 
which understandably turned a lot of people off. Because nobody came to hear that. They, they went to hear Christian music. Now, a lot of people left when he started singing these songs. And uh, I can remember a radio DJ on a Christian station the next day saying, shame on all the Christians who got up and left. That was just rude. Uh, and I'm thinking, man, it was late for one thing. And for another thing, the main act of this concert had, wasn't this guy. <laughs> this was essentially an Imperials concert with a bunch of other guests, some lesser luminaries. And this guy, the Imperials went on, this guy comes out, so a lot of people were kind of ready to go anyway, and he's not singing what they wanted to hear. But anyway, he got all offended and all hurt, but he began to experience that a lot of places. He wanted to go sing his old songs, but here's the statement he made that always bugged me. It bugged me back then, and it bugged me even more later when he said, I am not a Christian singer. I am a singer who became a Christian. And that bugged me because your identity is in the wrong place. If you're a Christian, that is the center of who you are. When you rank the things that make you you, what are you? Uh, I'm a firefighter. Uh, I'm a cop. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a, I'm a stamp collector. Uh, whatever. I am a Christian first. We need to be able to, to rank these things, and there should be no question about who we are. But by this point in his life, which, which looking back now was, prob was probably uh, five or six years after his salvation, he wasn't a new convert. But then what he began to find was, when he went, he got, so he got tired of that scene, so he went back to try to record secular music, and they were like, nah, you've got religion. So he didn't fit in either world. So he tried to straddle. He'd do these concerts where he'd sing his, his uh, secular hits and then he'd always work some gospel in there. And then in, uh, see that was all like late 70s, early 80s. And then in the mid-2000s he was interviewed. Now, I pray that something changed from the time of this interview till recently. But what he said in this interview, he's going over the old days and his, his big hits, and somebody said, and that's about the time you got religion, isn't it? Isn't that what helped you uh, get off drugs? And the first thing out of his mouth was, you need to know right now that this is not a religious man talking to you. Now, which would have been nice if he'd have said, I'm not talking about religion, I'm talking about Jesus. That's not what he was going with this. He says, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not religious at all. He says, now, I went through some things that Christianity helped me to overcome, but I would never want to prescribe that for anybody else. I don't think any one religion can satisfy the needs of everybody in the world. That's not anywhere near Christian truth. And I can't presume to know what's going on in, a, in, the, in the mind of somebody like that, but while I, all, I can, all I can think of is it's, it's, it's attention deprivation. Somebody who's used to the adulation, he's trying to be rele relevant one more time. I want you to like me. I want as many people to like me as possible. So I'm just going to cast this wide net. And so when I call it the Hollywood syndrome, I see this a lot. I see somebody's star begin to fade and then they come out and make some announcement about who they are and what they believe in order to endear them to as many people as possible and we wind up in a crazy world and this is where I don't wade into this territory very often 
but I think the time is right. When we talk about issues that, there's not, there's not a more important issue in the world than who is Jesus. Jesus is who he says he is in the Bible and did what the Bible says he did. And if those, if those things are true, then we can believe everything the Bible says about us. And in fact, in many, many, in the lives of many, many believers over the years, what brought them to belief in the Bible was the fact that they read in the Bible what the Bible said about them. Said, yes, the Bible describes me. It describes humanity better than any other religion, every other viewpoint, uh, worldview. So what we have to understand is if we're starting, and we are, I believe, as believers, if we are starting that Jesus is the truth, and that God's word is true, we have got to be honest about what it says about everything. And what I want to talk just briefly about, and this really isn't the core of my message, I'm talking about the armor of God. But I think this is, a, this is an opportune time to address something that really touches on truth. Because we are in a weird cultural moment that I I don't know how many people could have anticipated even 10 years ago how far we would have come in certain segments of our society now it used to be that the hot button issue social issue for believers was always always abortion and it still is a very important issue but here's where here's where the truth thing comes the argument used to center around something that was somewhat scientific. Abortion is only wrong if it's really a baby. A mass of tissue, a mass of fetal tissue can't really be a living human being. But guess what? There's a way at arriving uh, at an answer there. And science and medicine began to push back that, that ah, heartbeat, brainwaves, things that they could measure that they couldn't use to measure. And they find out that these things are present very, very early in the pregnancy. And so the uh, pro-abortion movement, the pro-choice movement, uh, latched, they began to realize this is a losing argument. We, can't, we are not going to win this on medical and scientific grounds. So you rarely hear them talk about that at all. What's it all about? My body, my choice. Woman's health care. That's, that's how it's always phrased. You just never, they never address it for what it is. Why? And so, so how, how, have they begun, how have they gained so much ground over the years? By ignoring the central truth of the matter. Now, problem is, some on the pro-life side, of which, I, which I boldly uh, number myself, have been very, very hateful toward those who have had abortions, who have wanted to have abortions. Uh, it doesn't, you don't counter, <laughs> the proper way to fight this is not to say, murderer, baby killer. It's to share truth in love. Many of you know that my son Riley was, was uh, he, he was scheduled to be aborted before his birth mother was, was robbed mugged and beth and i have never once ever i, I speak for myself but i don't speak for you too we kind of know each other after nearly 25 years right 
Uh, we've never thought, oh, what an evil, evil woman she was. How could she ever think about killing this, 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 this baby that became this wonderful little boy we know and love so well today? We don't think about it in those terms at all. She was confused. She was a victim of a society that convinced her she only had two choices. But truth was left out of the equation. The other hot-button issue in our society is sexual identity. Now, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, maybe even five years ago, I would have just, I would have said homosexuality. We've moved way beyond that now in a very short time. Here, also, we've got to be careful because the Christian church has said and done some ugly things that have not helped us address this in our society at all. But because the church, because now... Uh, the media or whoever, ultimately the devil, remember we wrestle, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, rules of darkness and high places. They've manipulated this idea that the church at large is hateful, intolerant, and just plain mean. And so the church, reacting to this image, has backpedaled and taken way too soft a stance on something the Bible unambiguously, clearly condemns. I'm talking about homosexual behavior. And the great question, this is a very valid question, well, if it's not hateful, if it's not judgmental, can you tell me why Christians pick on that one sin and ignore so many others? Aren't you just picking on the one that makes you uncomfortable? No. Do you know why it's such an issue? What is this month? being touted as again. It's Pride Month. Now, the Bible has some harsh things to say about gluttony. It has some harsh things to say about adultery, about murder, about stealing. But you don't have months set aside celebrating these sinful behaviors. I'm a thief and proud of it. I'm a murderer and proud of it. This is my sin, except it's not sin because it's mine. This is the one sin that everybody's like, don't you dare call it a sin. But the Bible does. And when we talk about free speech issues, this is going to be the thing, and it's already all sorts of uh, garbage is raining down on on, uh, preachers uh, around the world. It's coming here too where I won't be able to say something like this. Who knows? One day, a year from now, two years from now, this sermon will pop up on YouTube. And it'll go viral. For saying no more than I, than I just said. Now, what has hurt the position of truth? Idiots like the Westboro Baptist Church has hurt the truth. Because God doesn't hate anybody. God doesn't delight in the death of the wicked. And homosexuality doesn't send one single person to hell. You understand that? Rejecting Jesus sends people to hell. You say, well, if they get saved, they'll no longer be gay. Oh, really? How many of you still struggle? I'm not just talking from time to time some random thought will happen. How many of you still struggle with something you struggled with before you got saved? Did it ever, does it ever creep up in your life? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You un, and you understand, here's this. 
How many of you know you can control what you do and you still have those urges? Even if you never, ever murder somebody again, if you never uh, commit adultery again, if you never do any of the things, but, but those thoughts and those desires might still be there. Does that condemn you? It doesn't. Now, I believe, absolutely believe, because I've seen it, I've experienced it, that God can free you from those desires. I saw it again and again and again with these guys that came to Canaan land. I've told you that story. I'm not going to tell you again. And I've heard story, read, and, and seen interviews, and read books of people who came out of that lifestyle, and God freed them from the desire. But even if he doesn't free you from the desire, doesn't mean it's okay to participate in those desires. You understand? Paul himself said, I have to buffet my flesh daily to keep the flesh down, to stay on top of it, to walk in the spirit. Now, it, again, we don't, there should never be any hatred, never any dismissal, but we can't go the other way and say, I embrace that because I love you. And now what? Because we as a country officially embraced that, it didn't take any time to where we are where today, where don't you call me anything that I don't call myself. It doesn't matter what I was born as. It doesn't matter what the genetic markers say. It doesn't matter what science says at all. If I feel like a woman, I'm a woman. And I don't, and I'm not. To the point now where the history books are being changed. Who was the decathlon champion in the 1976 Olympics? It was Bruce Jenner. But you will absolutely read that it was Caitlyn Jenner. Even if she is Caitlyn now, that's not who, ran, who won the decathlon in 76, right? It wasn't Caitlyn on the Wheaties box. These are kind of cheap shots, taking these. But, but, you know, and I understand there are people who genuinely struggle with, what do they call it, gender dysphoria or whatever. But if it's a genuine struggle, treat it. Treat it like what it is, an illness. And we've got so much good science coming out on this. And thank you, by the way, for sending me that link. I didn't get to see much of it, but thank you, Cindy. Uh, some great testimonies of people who've been able to come out of that and psychiatrists and psychologists who are saying the absolute worst thing you can do for your child is to let them make a decision like this when they're a child kids go through all sorts of crazy confusing times walk them through it walk with them but but don't do anything drastic and don't affirm any of this stuff it's damaging and it shouldn't be difficult because certain things are true it doesn't matter. It shouldn't be a matter of what's icky and what's not, what, what bothers you and what doesn't. What does the Bible say? Male and female, he created them. And he knew who you were in your mother's womb. Now, you might have been born with a certain predisposition towards something else, something that's not near as drastic. And we need to recognize sin for what it is. I have an issue with this, with that. But we fight it. And we live in a society, as it says at the very end of Romans 1, that not only does these things, but approves, heartily approves of those that do. 
I'm not telling you to hate anybody, turn your back on anybody, or go right out and start arguing with everybody. I'm just saying stop celebrating it. We do nobody a favor by affirming anybody's sin. Again, you don't have to shun anybody. You don't need to cut them out of your life. But I, I, I've seen, I'm thinking of an individual that I've known for years, and I think of all the Christians that have been in this young man's life, and I look at the struggle he's having now, and I mean, it is sick stuff. And I see people who have, had, who have and have had the opportunity to speak into his life, liking him, affirming him, congratulating him on all these profane things he's doing. And they would say, well, I'm just trying to stay connected. You want to stay connected? Send him a message. Say hello. Don't affirm and celebrate the garbage that he's putting out there for public consumption. I know I'm being vague here, and I'm being vague on purpose. But I am talking about a specific individual. This is what truth, this is why truth matters. It's one of the many reasons truth matters. Bringing it full circle, and praise and worship team, you can come up here now. Everybody else, you can stand. Sorry, I kind of went off on a tangent there. Bringing this around full circle. Gird your waist with the belt of truth. Your attitude, your confession, your prayer life, uh, your witness, everything that you do as a believer for the cause of Christ is going to be hanging on what is true. You understand that? If you don't know the truth, you can't hang anything on that truth. If you don't have the truth, then the faith you have is just empty words. How do you know the words you speak are effective? You have to know they're true. And then knowledge of that truth comes from the word of God. But it begins with the central truth. truth. Jesus said, I didn't say I will show you the truth. I will teach you the truth. He said, I am the truth. And we can have absolute assurity that if we have Jesus, we have the truth. And I believe the Holy Spirit's role in our day-to-day -day life is to slowly, or maybe even quickly, rapidly, as quickly as we can absorb it, he'll reveal that truth. He'll reveal the truth in every situation. And we can't live effectively, we can't live consistently without truth. We should be lovers of truth. And that means we are lovers of Jesus. It's hard. When we come face to face with the truth, you will, as a believer, I promise you, at some point in your life, come face to face with something about you that the Bible doesn't like. That's your moment of truth. Not when you're shaking your finger at what the Bible says about somebody else's life. But when you read that, it's like, oh, oh no, oh no, that's me. Then what are you going to do? Are you going to change your life or are you going to change your belief? You better know what's true is true. And then be honest with God. God, I don't think I can change this. And you know what you just might hear God say? No, you can't, but I can. Are you going to trust me with that? That desire, that sinful predisposition. Get, let's, let's, let's work on getting that, uh, that log out of your eye. God will free you from so much. Jesus will free you from so much. 
And the freedom we experience walking in this life here and now is just a taste of the freedom we're going to experience when we are no longer even in the presence of sin. Here we are walking victoriously. Amen? We are victors. We are, we are overcomers in this life, right? But what about the day when we're walking on streets where there's nothing to overcome anymore? When these rulers, these spiritual wickedness in high places, they have been cast down permanently and manifestly. Right now they have legally, positionally. We have nothing to fear from them. But we do continue to wage war, don't we? We're to wrestle with these things. That's what we need the armor for. One of these days we'll take that armor off when we're home. Let's make sure we know where home is. Home for the believer is with God forever. Heaven, the new heavens, the new earth, with Jesus, with God. But every one of us is going to be spending forever somewhere. Remember earlier in this message I said the devil was real? He is. So is hell. You can make a decision now to embrace the truth. Jesus, I believe you are who you said you are. I believe that Jesus is Lord. I believe that he died for me and I believe he rose from the dead. If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That sounds awful easy. It is. I believe God has arranged the world so that the things we need the most are the easiest to receive. That's why you can breathe in your sleep. You need Jesus even more. God hasn't made it complicated. Will you receive him today? Does there anybody in here today say, Scott, I do believe. I've always believed in Jesus, always believed he was, but now I believe he is exactly who he says he is, and I need to commit my life to his truth, the truth. I want to be a disciple, a follower, a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. Anybody today? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I hope that means you're all saved. Uh, you can go ahead and be seated for a moment. And uh, we'll continue to worship the Lord with our giving. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you enjoyed today's message, consider sharing it with a friend. For more content and information about Living Word, check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. And remember to live the gospel and preach the gospel.